Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Maru-chan superfans are everywhere. From the busy moms who want to deliver maximum flavor in a flash, to dorm room diners who want to put some slurp in their step. There are a ton of copycats you could use, but if you want to bless your bowl, there's only one true Maru-chan. Whether you choose instant lunch, ramen bowls, yakisoba, or restaurant-quality gold, Maru-chan is the only ramen worth obsessing over. Smiles for all. Maru-chan. See what all the ramen hype is about at maruchan.com. Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gorlacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome, welcome. All right. So today, I'm going to try to talk slow because I'm jumping out of my skin with excitement and I want to talk really fast, but I just got home from a conference in Austin, Texas last weekend, and it was called KetoCon, which is Ketogenic Conference. And I don't know if you get my newsletter or my emails, rather, if you're on my email list, but I had just sent out a really excited email about this. So you may know the ketogenic diet. I mentioned it in the Picky Eating Podcast. It is a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carb way of eating. It is a great metabolic tool. And I was asked to go to this conference. You know, I had interviewed Danielle Hamilton on this podcast with uh, Blood Sugar, and she happened to have a free ticket for me. So I went. And it interests me because ketogenic is a very, very cool tool for metabolic health. Now, I know there's a lot of like common use of it, and there's like all these keto products now out on the market. People definitely have opinions about the ketogenic diet, which, whether you do or not, it's still a really good metabolic tool. And this conference, I don't know. I thought it was going to be like all like, I don't know, biohacking people because a lot of biohackers use it as a fat app adaptation tool for endurance racing and things like that. That's how I use it. So I guess I expected it to be like a sort of biohacking fit people and broad strokes about the ketogenic diet. And it wasn't. It was a lot of amazing healing people who were really, really sick. There were a lot of older people, a lot of people who were metabolically unwell, but had lost, you know, hundreds of pounds. And it was really humbling to be around a big conference with a lot of metabolically sick people who were striving for wellness and looking for answers outside the allopathic medicine, standard American diet paradigm. And so that was like amazing. You know, there's big guns in any industry, in any philosophy, way of eating. And so there were definitely some big gun speakers. And so I'm very familiar with their work on Instagram. And I expected that to be like the whole pony show, you know, but instead there were these, every day there were so many speakers and there were called breakout rooms. So they were like smaller people you may not know or have heard of, or don't have a book out. And it was largely these young women, like 30 to 35 years old, who are just changing metabolic health for so many people. And it was fascinating. And I learned so freaking much. And the thing I'm the most excited about is 
I have been running into, of course, with my potty training work, I deal with a lot of poop problems. And although I can fix it, I do feel like my fixes are a Band-Aid approach. They don't go to the root cause. And I'm also seeing in the last couple of years, I'm seeing a really type of difficult kid and I'll be working with the family and everybody, everybody's got good boundaries. The parents are doing great. Like just they're, they're killing parenting. And still there's this like above and beyond behavior. It looks like impulse control. It looks like volatility. It looks like aggression, whatever it is. I said this to some of my colleagues about a year ago. I said, I don't know what's happening, but this is the same kid. And the behaviors are just under being able to get a diagnosis, which is good and bad. I am always on board for a diagnosis because it lets us know what's going on, you know, how this child learns, whether ADHD, sensory issues, spectrum, it helps me, it directs my actions because some parenting tools just aren't going to work with a, a kid who has ADHD or a kid with sensory issues. So I love a diagnosis and I don't think it has to be the kiss of death, but for whatever reason, these kids aren't testing into a diagnosis. So they can't get any special concessions in school where they might be behaving in a volatile manner occasionally. It's not, it's not always. But whatever I'm seeing, I said, whatever's going on here, it's the same. So what I don't know what it is yet, but it's the same. <laughs> and so these kids all look very similar to me, earmarked by, of course, picky eating. So we're seeing like these things that I'm seeing going through the roof right now are extreme poop issues and digestive issues or GI tract issues, extreme picky eating and extreme volatility, even though it's like not across the board. And these kids are oh my God, when they're not being volatile, they're the sweetest kids. It's not like these kids are like angry at everything, right? They're just, they have these like hot pockets of zero to 60. And so I feel like I'm starting to find answers by going to this conference and I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> I'm going to figure this out. But it gave me hope because there were so many dots to connect. And I think the biggest takeaway that I want you guys to know is it blew me away because I went to a talk on the gut-brain axis. Now, I know the gut-brain axis exists, but I think it's one of those things in allopathic medicine that gets really written off, like, oh, we don't have any information. But here's what I did not know and I learned, and this is mind-blowing. The gut and the brain are connected tissue as an embryo. They are connected, and then at some point, they separate. So they are literally the same tissue, and they are communicating back and forth. It's not even that the brain leads the gut or the gut leads the brain, they're just communicating constantly. So I was gratified because I always think that so many of these issues that we're seeing in kids are gut related and it was confirmed. And so I feel like, oh my God, there are actual metabolic drivers for the picky eating, for the behavior, for all the poop issues. And I feel like I could get to the bottom of them now. And this is making my heart explode because I feel like any kid under 10 years old right now, for some reason, this generation is being hit the hardest. And I think they're catching all the overflow of environmental toxins, of food toxins, of all these things. And it's piling up in their little systems and their guts are not being, you know, for various reasons, maybe mom had severe rounds of antibiotics. And, and maybe even if the child has only had one round of antibiotics, that totally wrecks the gut. And so when the gut is all you know, wrecked and they're, they're having problems with their gut, they're going to have problems with their brain, whether it's fatigue, brain fog, or this volatile behavior. So anyway, I just, I wanted to like, just kind of give you a glimpse and I just can't stop talking about it. I can't speak with certainty on all the topics I learned. So that is coming though, because you guys know me and you know, once I know something, I'm not going to shut up about it, <laughs> but it just makes me so happy to 
to be validated that I know that this is an internal thing that can be that can be addressed and can be healed and can be fixed. So I'm really looking forward to diving into that. Believe me, as soon as I know, you'll all know because you know how that's how I roll. <laughs> okay, I wanted to expand a tiny, tiny bit on uh, two episodes ago. I answered somebody's question on the foods I use when I go hiking, right? Especially being in the more fat adapted range. But I wanted to explain, I got a lot of good feedback about that. And people are like, tell me more, tell me more. So I wanted to expand on that just a little bit because I think it is really important, especially after doing the picky eating episode and looking at when we are trying to, you know, most of the time be healthy ourselves, but also feed our kids the most nutrient dense, inconvenient foods at inconvenient times, we have to look at like food on the go. And in an ideal world, of course, I don't want kids eating in car seats. I don't want kids snacking all day long. But when we, especially as we head into the summer, you know, you have to be prepared. And so I want to go back and visit the Yeti in my trunk. So (laughs) I do highly suggest investing in a really good cooler if this is the route you want to go. Again, like I think there's a lot of Yeti-like products now. You may not have to spend the money. I think Yeti is a little overpriced for the like brand, you know, like the Air Jordan of coolers, but it does keep ice as ice for a really long time. So, and bear in mind, again, I said that in that episode, I don't care for the Yeti as a cooler because it's too heavy and so much of it is cooler that there's not as much space as I'd like. But if you're going to do this, like keep it cooler in your trunk, I would suggest getting a high-end cooler because it could be all day. So this idea came, we were hiking Acadia, Maine, we were camping and we were doing many trails. And of course we had a campground, so we didn't have a fridge, but uh, we were doing many hikes and we'd be out kind of all day. And so I just packed the cooler just full of like hard boiled eggs, string cheese, sausage, salami, some high quality hot dogs, guacamole, just all kinds of things that needed to be kept cool. I am a huge fan of like making a couple of steaks, just slicing it. That's something I can eat cold. And so you kind of want to think of like, what proteins can I have that I enjoy cold? And so that's what you want to do. And so it was the most beautiful thing though, because I was like, God, everywhere we go, I have the whole cooler. Like I have a range of things. It's not just like the two things I put in my backpack. I like variety. So like, and it doesn't have to be, it can be chicken nine different ways, but I like the nine different ways. <laughs> so having a cooler full of food was key. And so that is the habit that I've gotten into, again, particularly in the summer, when it tends to be like you leave the house and you don't know when you're coming back, or you may have the luxury of more impromptu plans, like, oh, who knows where we're going to end up? We're going to go to the beach and then maybe we'll go to the playground and then maybe we'll go get an ice cream. You know, it could be like that kind of day. And so that's where that idea came from. And I've done it ever since. I was probably about eight years ago that I did that. And it just makes sense to me to have all the food with us. I also, I think I've mentioned here before, like the hill I'll die on is I won't buy bottled water. I just can't stand it. I don't know about the plastics and how long it's been in transit if the plastic's been heated up. And I just don't like the waste. So I love keeping water cold in the car. So that's another benefit. But again, One of the biggest problems we run into as parents in the summer months is convenience because we are on the go and we get stuck. And so hopefully you have, you know, rearranged your diet so that you're not hangry if you 
want to go revisit uh, the episode with Danielle Hamilton, we our hunger should never be urgent and it, we shouldn't get hangry as adults. Now, kids have very different nutritional needs and I do think they need to eat more frequently. And I think we should never put a cap on or assume we know when they're hungry. However, when they are hungry, if they ask for a snack, we can give them a mini meal. We can give them a slice of turkey with a string cheese with a hard boiled egg or something like that, right? So we don't want to, as I said in the beginning, eating, the word snack has become code word for processed food. I want something junky, prepackaged junk. Yeah. Because if a kid's asks for a snack and you put down some healthy food that they like, <laughs> and they go, well, this isn't a snack. They're not really hungry. They're asking for something else. And I think this often happens in the car and we mistake it for hunger, but I think often they're bored in their car seat and they, they're just looking to entertain themselves. So always, always, always offer as much food as your child wants. <laughs> but, but again, thinking protein and fat forward and, and less on carbohydrates because those will fill in the gaps by themselves. And so again, I don't see any way around this except packing food in the car as you go about your day. And whether or not you work outside the home or, or even at work, I think just bringing your food anywhere you can is just totally, totally key. Again, I just, I feel like you can't get away from it. So just know the cooler in the car is key. And I think you just have to get used to, they have cooler, almost they look like makeup cases. They're very small coolers. Now, obviously not like Yeti quality, but you can put like your meat or your bacon or whatever you're carrying with you and it can go in your purse. So another funny story, just to kind of show what has to happen when you step outside the quote unquote normal paradigm of, of food and eating. So traveling to Austin, I always pack food to keep in my purse because airport food just sucks. It just sucks, sucks, sucks. And I have a knack for having planes be delayed. And in fact, my flight into Austin was delayed five hours and my flight coming home was delayed five hours. So I often find myself trapped in the airport and I cannot, like, there's just no good options. So going to Austin, I had packed a couple of chicken, you know, pieces of chicken and a couple of sausages and like a half a pound of bacon. And I call it my, my purse meat. <laughs> so I just keep it in my purse in case I get hungry. And, you know, my plane got delayed by a lot. So I said, all right, well, let me go sit down in a restaurant. You know, I walked around, got my steps in, and then I sat down in a restaurant to linger over a salad. And I got a Cobb salad, which I love. You know, it's got the blue cheese and the eggs and the crumbled bacon and all that, which I like a lot better than the lettuce. <laughs> and so I knew, you know, the, the salad's $20 and I knew it didn't come with chicken. I knew it would be under-proteined. And that's one of the dangers of eating out is that you're always going to get under-proteined because, you know, the protein is the most expensive thing. So they're always going to give you like four or six ounces. And that's usually just not enough protein for an adult, especially so, you know, the waitress dropped the salad down and she walked away and I just went into my purse and I took out a chicken breast and I took out my bacon and I crumbled more on it and I had my protein. And so if somebody was watching me, I probably looked like a whack job, but that's my way to keep up on my protein needs. And, you know, again, just an idea of like, yeah, you kind of have to think outside the box and you kind of have to think ahead. Now, normally, if it were just a flight, I wouldn't be concerned. I can go that long without food. However, knowing that I have a knack for a five-hour delays, I don't want to be trapped in a situation where I get myself against the corner and I have to eat shit food that I don't want or doesn't feel good in my body. So just kind of slipping that in is like, that's the level that sometimes you have to think ahead <laughs> to make sure you're getting your needs met as well. All right, kind of taking a left-hand turn here. I want to veer into our tweens as we have been doing on several podcasts. And I want to talk about a couple of things. 
as luck would have it, my friend Jen turned me on to a couple of cool things. And one is called the Gab Watch. So if you have a tween, so I'm defining that, of course, as that that gardening phase, which is that six to 12. Now I understand that six is very young when we're talking about tweens. You know, we tend to talk about tweens as like maybe eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, that kind of right before teens. But that's kind of the age group I'm talking about. And so this Gab Watch is a fairly new product, I guess, or one new to me, where it's similar to like an Apple Watch or something like that, but they also have a phone. So it allows your child to keep in contact with you but there's no internet, there's no games, there's no apps, and there's no social media. And you program who goes in. So if they want to talk to their friends, you have to put their friend's number in. You do the uploading of all the contacts. Your child can't just reach out and make contact. So this seems like the perfect solution that we've all been kind of waiting for, like a truly safe solution to keep your child in touch with you and the ability to communicate with their friends but not get distracted by all the other things. Monarch Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch Legacy of Monsters, streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. And I, again, I really think the big, big, big thing is social media, particularly with our young women, our young girls. I think they're just so susceptible, much more susceptible, I should say. And not that, not that the boys aren't, but I think the girls, it's just, they're much more susceptible to the bitchiness, the cattiness, the bullying, the craziness, the filters, how they look, how that translates. And we know it's just, we know it's damaging. So this Gab phone seems like just the perfect solution. I love it. But that ties into a big question that has come up about when can you leave your kid home alone? When can you start that process? And this has come up with all my friends because my uh, most of my friends, particularly my gym friends, their kids are all at this age range. And they're like, when can they stay home alone? And, and so like everything, every kid is different. And it really depends on your child. But we have to, of course, look at ourselves and look at our own helicopter tendencies and our own risk adverseness and our own fear of keeping our kids safe which there's a healthy fear and then there's an absolute unhealthy level of fear and not letting our kids go. And this is, I think, probably one of the hardest transitions in parenting. I think the toddler years are by far the hardest years of parenting, period. (laughs) Just period. You have a unreasonable human in front of you. (laughs) So, but this when to let go and how fast to let go is really, really, really tricky. By this stage, you know your kid, right? And you know if you have a kid who is like clueless and going to walk out into traffic, you know you have a kid who might be a little more immature than the friends, a little goofier, you know, whatever it is. You may know that you have a perfectionistic kid, a kid who's going to follow the rules, do whatever you tell you. You may know by now that you have a feral kid who's going to do nothing that you ask or, you know, disobey all the rules. And so, I think that's part of it is really knowing your kid and being honest, but then also being honest with yourself because I see a lot of parents saying, no, 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 my kid's not ready. And I, 
And from an observer point, and this is with close friends, I'm like, well, I think they are. I think you're not. So it's kind of tempering our own fear as well. So when do you start being able to leave your kid home alone. And again, this gab watch is great because one of the things you want to make sure is that your child can contact you at any time. And a lot of us don't have landlines anymore or the kids don't even know how to use them, <laughs> right? So you may have a landline somewhere in your house that is like kind of defunct, but you know, still works, but nobody uses it. So you definitely want to make sure that your child has a way to communicate with you. And so that's again, where this you know, safe phone would be amazing, an amazing tool. Regardless, if you don't get this Gab phone, you do have to have something set up so your child can contact you. And leaving your kid home, the age you do it at is, again, totally dependent on the kid. And it also is dependent on, are they in charge of other kids? So your kid may be like a a precocious 11-year-old or not even precocious. I think 11 is perfectly fine to stay home alone, but your kid may be able to stay home alone, but can they handle a situation with a younger sibling? I know they can because I was babysitting at 10 years old, literally being paid to babysit at 10 years old. So I know kids are capable, but you know, is your kid capable? So I think all that factors in, but the way you leave a kid home alone is you start small, just like every other thing. You start by like, I'm going to take a walk around the block and leave you home alone, you know, and see how your child does. You start by, no, they can't use anything. They can't use anything. You're going to leave some food ready for them on the table. They can't, whatever. Or maybe you allow them to use, if you use the microwave, they can microwave something, yes? But we don't allow them to use the stove. You can't use the stove. You can't answer the door. You set up the parameters and you do that. So then the next time you might run to the store, you might actually get in the car and go run to the store really quick or go a couple of miles uh, and then come back. So you start just doing these little journeys. So your child gets used to being alone. You start allowing them some trust and knowing, you know, if anything happens, you call me. And yeah, so there's a lot of controversy about this and there's always some legislation going through. And ironically, one of the bills that was coming through for some time was that if you left your kid home alone and they called 911, you got arrested. And it was like, what the hell? Like you leave a kid home alone with the instructions. If something goes wrong, you call 911, they call 911 and now you get arrested. So not really sure how that works because the kid did the right thing. The right thing was done. And that's what we want kids to do at any age is call 911 if they need to. Right. So, so there's been some punitive things that have come through. I will say that there was stories. So I follow Let Grow and that's Lenore Skenazy's company. And that's all about free range kids and how we can I've talked about this before on the podcast, how we can really actually look up statistics. We can start looking up crime statistics. We can look up kidnapping statistics. We can look up, you know, who's on the sexual offender registry in our neighborhood. We can look these things up and that can give you a much better sense of what's going on in your neighborhood and what you can typically expect because social media explodes things in in such a weird way. And we never know what's real, what's fake what's exaggerated. And so it can really prey on our fears and make us much more anxious than we need to be. When you start realizing that no one has ever committed a crime against a child in your neighborhood, like, okay, then maybe your kid can stay home alone, can walk down the block by themselves, right? I really encourage that, but I was, what was I going to say about Lenore? Oh, so through her page, she was reporting parents were getting arrested for leaving their kids home alone at any age, like at absurd ages, like 13. And like, there was this one story where the parents got arrested. The child was 11, got home from school, was locked out, 
and just played basketball in his driveway till the parents, you know, he had like an hour till the parents were going to get home and he was perfectly happy. Nothing was wrong. And the neighbors reported him and the parents, they got, you know, family court involved. The kid got taken away. It was this egregious reaction to a really normal thing of childhood. So there were stories of that, you know, going on all around the U.S. So like with Pascal, my fear was like being arrested. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was very capable and he wanted to start staying home when he was nine years old. So I would do those very short outings. But I also looked up what the thing that they claimed with this 11 year old whose parents got arrested was that he didn't have a water source and he didn't have food and a way to communicate with the parents. So like damned if you do and damned if you don't, right? So the kid didn't have a cell phone, which is great. So he couldn't get in touch with the parents and he was locked outside his house. He didn't have water or food, but like, is a kid going to drop dead, uh, you know, for two hours after school with no water or food or, you know, he, he seemed perfectly capable. He was playing in his own backyard, playing basketball. And so those are the things that will apparently, you know, get you arrested. So for me, I was like, okay, Pascal, here's a phone. That's when he got his cell phone. Here's your phone. Here's some food and here's your water. <laughs> if anything happens, you've been fed, watered, and you have a way to communicate with me. Never needed it, of course, but that's something that I was just like, okay, I covered my bases. <laughs> so I, I will use this moment to plug the awesomeness of my child, which is when he was nine years old and wanted to start staying home alone. And we were doing that. A bill came through Rhode Island. We're on an email list that we see all the bills that come through for um, anything to do with kids. And these are opportunities for him to go down to the state house and to write testimony and stand before these various things. So this bill was coming through that you had to be 12 years old to stay home alone. And he went through the roof. He was so crazy. He was like, that's not fair. You all say you want us to be responsible and then you don't give us any responsibility. You know, he was his, his little nine-year-old lawyer self was just out of his mind. So I said, well, you should write a testimony and go down and fight this because you can. And so he did. He wrote a testimony and we went down to the state house and we stood before the Senate Judiciary Committee, which was amazing. This is just, whether or not you homeschool, this is just an awesome thing to do with your kid. And they kept him on the floor, the Senate floor for an hour because he was nine and who doesn't love a nine-year-old <laughs> giving a testimony. So he read his testimony, which had, we had just read Huck Finn and um, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. And he was like, I wish I lived back with Tom Sawyer. They had such a free life. No parents were bugging them. And, you know, the senators are cracking up and and he said, you know, you grownups all say that us kids aren't responsible and then you don't give us any responsibility to prove that we're responsible, which I was like, um, yeah. <laughs> right? So the senators kept questioning him and they did a fair amount of reminiscing about their own childhood. And it was so funny. He killed the bill. He killed the bill right then and there. They were like, Pascal, thank you very much. We've heard enough testimony. Like this bill is ridiculous. If you ever get a chance to do this at your state house, it's really great. You can go, they want testimony. Almost any bill that's coming through to become a law, you can go and fight. And getting involved at background level politics is super cool. It's really gratifying and it's super cool to be part of the process. You know, I think sometimes with the bigger issues of our politics, we start to feel hopeless that we can affect any change. But at this ground level, you really can. And I've seen, I mean, Pascal has helped. Well, he killed one bill and he helped put another bill in through. So it's been really fun. And the great thing is you get to sit and actually talk to your representative. So, you know, they were grilling him and it was just, it was so cool because he had this like back and forth with them. So I highly suggest a doing that as an exercise, but, oh, so one of the questions that kept coming up was why 12? 
because there's plenty of 12-year-olds who may not be ready to stay home alone. And so by setting an arbitrary age limit, and even for me to say, yes, you guys, your child at 10 years old should be able to stay home alone. That's not true. Even if I'm being a boomer and being like, well, when I was a kid, I was babysitting at 10, right? Not every kid was babysitting at 10. I was babysitting at 10. And I was responsible because I was, a, you know, my trauma response was hyper-independent, <laughs> extra competent, little 10-year-old. <laughs> but again, setting an arbitrary limit, and that's what we talked about with the senators was like, maybe that would give parents the wrong idea. Like you're 12 now, you can stay home alone and they wouldn't do the proper evaluation of like, mm, no, maybe we wait another year for you. So again, no arbitrary ages, but know your kid. But I think most importantly, know yourself and know when you're holding your kid back. You know, I've been talking about that a lot in this like real world experiences. And this is the scariest thing, a letting your kid stay home alone, letting your kid go to the movies by themselves with their friends, letting them go maybe to the mall or maybe to the playground or wherever they're gathering as kids. And so I think it's just really, really scary. And so we tend to, you know, you have to keep your fear in check by looking for actual statistics. I think that's helpful, but also just really looking at your kid and knowing this has to happen. And just like I talk about in the toddler years, there's no magical age. This is a skill that is built slowly and with time and trust. And this is a great example of like trust builds on trust. Whereas if your child betrays your trust in these situations, you know, whatever, when they're home alone or out with friends, that's a huge backward step, right? Because you can't earn trust. You just, you can't get trust back in an instant. You have to earn it again very, very, very slowly. And so I think though, if we think like, oh, they'll be fine when they're 14. Not if you didn't give them the skills when they were 12. No, they're not going to be fine when they're 14. There's no magical age at which this just blossoms and all of a sudden they're responsible. It builds. And so we have to start eking out these opportunities to let them fly a little bit and trust them. Now, on that note, there is a few things. So I didn't actually look into the Gab Watch to see if there was like a find my, you know how you can track your iPhone or track your family. I think that having a family tracker for phones is a good idea. I know this is, we're in a trackable society right now. And so when you start to let your kid go, it can be very tempting to be on them like white on rice and track them. I have mixed feelings about this. This is of course a personal choice. And if you want to be tracking your child, that's okay. But I do want to mention a huge thing that had happened a few, I think it was probably about 10 years ago. I also probably should have just looked up the study before getting on this podcast. <laughs> I'll paraphrase it. They put cameras in a high school. It was the first place where there were like a lot of cameras and they put it into, I believe it was a high school or maybe it was all the schools, but it was like 100% cameras almost 24 hours. And there were cameras outside, you know, watching the sidewalks and things like that in an effort to keep kids safe. And what happened was the kids started getting ticks, like, you know, eye ticks, finger ticks. They started having like sort of a psychiatric thing. It got so bad that the CDC was called in and they were, you know, to test the water. It was so rampant. And what they figured out was that being observed constantly will drive a human crazy. And so I want to throw that in because we are in such a trackable society that keeping your child under constant surveillance isn't necessarily healthy either. And I know like a friend of mine had gotten like the Apple tiles so that you can like track them like when they went to Disneyland. So I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good use of like tracking your kid. You know, when you go to Disneyland, if they get separated from you or something. 
again, this is super personal and your choice, but I want to put it out with some caution that observing kids all the time doesn't mean they're not going to get into trouble. It means they're going to be sneakier to get into trouble. And so these years of like 10 years old to 20 is full of individuation. It's full of your child trying to be their own person. And I do believe that a lot of the internet bullshit that gets kids into trouble is because we've stopped them from having freedom in real life. And so in lieu of freedom in, of real life, right, these kids are getting into mischief on the internet. And I think it is bound to happen because they're going to fuck around to find out. And that is the nature of humans. That is the nature of the teenage years. And so I caution you that trying to squelch that by observing them all the time, reading their journals, tracking where they are at every minute of the day, I think it will backfire. I think I've told this story. One of my best friends in high school her mom got pregnant when she was 15. So she was on my friend, like ridiculous. My friend couldn't go to anybody's house after school. My friend couldn't ever sleep over anybody's house. I mean, her mom was just on her all the time. And of course we didn't have tracking devices. And that friend got pregnant at 17 because guess what? You can fuck anywhere. And so like it just backfired. She would cut school and go with a boyfriend. You know what I mean? So it can just really backfire on you. And I think that our kids need some freedom, need some area where we're not just in their business. And so just be cautious of that. And it will look different for every parent. And just like staying home alone will look different for every parent and every kid. I guess my larger point is curb your own fear because that's going to come off on your child. It's going to give your child anxiety and or rebelliousness that is above and beyond. They need sacred spaces to have fun. Yes. Is your kid going to try a cigarette? I can almost guarantee it. Is your kid going to try a taste of beer? I can almost guarantee it. Is your kid going to take a hit of a joint at some point? I can almost guarantee it. These things happen. Yes. <laughs> They're going to happen whether or not you survey them or not. So not saying that you have to condone it, but you have to be aware that you're not going to prevent it at all. You know, like we, we try to be as calm and cool and connected and curious with our kids as we can, but over surveying is not the way to get through that. So I just wanted to put that out there because I think it, it is really important. And I see it with Pascal's, I can see it with his community, like the stricter the parent, the worse off the kid is because they're going to find a way. And I'm not saying you have to have a party at your house and hand out joints to your kids. It doesn't have to look like that either. But I think it's really worth noting of like, are we keeping them safe or are we just keeping ourselves calm and regulated because we have so much fear? Uh, that's all I have for you guys today. As always, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you listening. And as always, rock on. Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.